you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. I would easily contend you could do a sermon series on just these seven verses of the Bible, taking great pains over several weeks to unfold all that's found here. And it may be that I say that from the simple reason that I find in studying this, I, I not only get to see the heart of God, I get to see the intent of Satan, and I also get to see the plain truth about myself. It would be easy to, to sort of think and to sort of say, you know, if I'd have been there, I wouldn't have done such and such. Okay, hogwash. I find it much easier to say, how did they hold on for so long? How did, how did Adam and Eve have any days of goodness in them? Because if I'm really honest, um, I'm more like the Apostle Paul when he says, the very thing I ought not do, I go do it. The very thing I know I should do, I don't do. And he comes to this sort of wonderful question and conclusion. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, I, I don't see me at all being some better version of either Adam or Eve, if I'm really honest, I just see me being quite a more terrible version of Tim. I see the possibilities uh, of my failure more than I do my success. Uh, maybe some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but tonight, tonight we'll look at these first seven verses in Genesis 3, and we'll look at the temptation and the fall, and I've put a note in the bulletin, and I'll just tell you unashamedly, Dr. Alan Ross's comments on the structure of the passage were a great blessing to me, and I just use some of them verbatim, without shame. Um, if you want a good book on the book of Genesis, prepare to take a long time to read it, because it's pretty thick, but it's called Creation and Blessing, and I just recommend it. Um, and so, uh, it is... What do they call it? Plagiarism? It's plagiarism if you don't quote them. I'm quoting the man. Alan P. Ross said a lot of this. And then I rednecked up some of it, so you think I said some of it. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Father, we have opened your word and faithfully read it. Now would you open us and read it into our spirits? In Jesus I pray. Amen and amen. I'll say the same thing I said at the beginning of last week's message. To quote Jerry Reed, we have a long way to go in a short time to get there, so let's dive right in. 
I think that Dr. Ross is right when he says that we should concentrate on the theme of temptation that leads to the fall. So let's do that very thing. First thing I'd like us to see is this. Temptation raises questions about the Word of God. Temptation raises questions about the Word of God. Let's set the scene. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Amen? If you got your Bible open to Genesis 3, it's very likely you can see over into Genesis 2, Adam had a job to do. He wasn't there looking for something to do. He was there assigned with something to do. Not only that, not only that, we see in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it's sometime after getting this assignment, God said, look, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I, th- I think I have these on the screen. If um, Throw them up there for me. He says, listen, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what, church? Okay, so don't forget, just a quick review of last week. He has purpose, and he has complementary help. So he's not alone in the purpose. He has purpose and intimate fellowship. So, not only that, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If you're anything like me, when it's time to take a shower, you go in the bathroom and cut off the lights. Imagine, that's funny, it's okay to laugh. It's hard to even, even fathom being in such a culture that you can be naked and unashamed, right? I saw, I've never seen the show, I'm not going to watch the show, I don't care about the show, but I saw more than once the show advertised naked and unafraid. Wow. I, I think alcohol had to be involved. But if I understand the premise of the show is that they're usually by themselves, right? Except for the camera crew. Hmm. This is an interesting scene. They have purpose, they have fellowship, they have intimacy, but they have no shame. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Then Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, introduces this character. Here they are tending the earth, walking with God, enjoying peaceful marriage. They're naked and they don't have shame, but the serpent is more crafty than any beast of the field. You might say that He would know how to walk through a minefield without stepping on the bombs. That's what that crafty sort of indicates. It's not that he knows everything, but he's sort of slick. And he can walk through an unsafe area and craftily lead you there to put you at a point of danger. And that's the image we should have of this tempter. And then he asks a question. It's a very, it's, it seems like a very interesting and subtle question. It seems sort of innocent. Did God really say? As a matter of fact, last night I was talking with my brother and he's been listening to the chronological story and we played 1,000 questions. It wasn't, what is that game, that old game, 20 questions, something? This is 1,000 questions. Why did they do this and why did they do that and why did they have to roast the meat and not boil the meat and And it was all very fun. It was all very fascinating, right? But none of my brother's questions were meant to cause me or himself 
to have doubt about the goodness of God or the legitimacy of his word. We were simply two broken guys looking to discover the truth. Satan is up to something else. The tempter is up to something else. And the first thing he does is he levels an attack against the word of God. He levels an attack against the word of God. He is trying to, we might say, undermine what God says. And he knows that if he can get us to doubt what God says, if he could get Adam and Eve to doubt what God says, then they might begin to come up with answers outside of God's provision. You ever done that? Go ahead and say yes, you have. So he asked this question, has, has God indeed said, did God really say He's casting doubt. Now, let me tell you what he's doing. He's probing. He's probing. Any of you guys in here, trust me, not me. I'm going to go ahead and say, not me. Any of you guys in here ever been rock climbing? Anybody? Raise your hand. Oh, really? Okay, you're crazy. Okay, You're a different sort of crazy to me. I jump out of planes, you climb rocks. Okay, cool. My idea of rock climbing is to get in a four-wheel drive truck and drive over gravel. What do you do when you're rock climbing? You, you look for places that you can get your hands in. Isn't that the image? And you, ever, you ever seen those really expert rock climbers? They'll literally just get a couple of fingertips in some crevice. That's exactly what Satan is doing here. He's looking for some place to lay hold to Eve, to lay hold to Adam. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, John chapter 14, Jesus said this, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, he has no claim on me. If you were to break this Greek language down, it's like he's saying there are no crevices for him to get a hold of me. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this in a really silly way, okay? All right, if you've been going to East Rock for a while, what's one food Timbo's hates? Green peppers. Casey was fast to the draw. I do not like green peppers. Name a beverage I don't like. There's more than one. Coffee. Uh, and worse than coffee is anything with fake sugar in it. If God is going to go through the trouble to make a plant to make sugar spring up from the ground, why are you going to take some from a laboratory? Say a Diet Pepsi, right? So imagine someone, I was on a fast, I was fasting, and they were going to try to tempt me to fast, to break my fast, rather. Imagine they brought to me a big plate of cooked green peppers and a Diet Pepsi they would find no place in me. There would be nothing for that meal to grab my spirit. I'd go, the fast will be successful. Now, what would be the thing that might tempt me? Let's see if you know me now. Yellow cake with chocolate frosting. What's my favorite meal, Carebos? Somebody, somebody be care to a cheeseburger. I think it was Brett. What's, my, what's one of my favorite drinks? Dr. Pepper. So imagine, here comes Satan, tiptoeing through the tulips. He's got a bacon cheeseburger, too much Duke's mayonnaise on it, some of that good, cheap Duncan Hines yellow cake, and some homemade frosting. Mm. Matter of fact, let's pray. I'm going to dinner. <laughs> Ice cold Dr. Pepper, and I'm on a fast. He goes, are you hungry? Well, 
there would be a place in me then. <laughs> there would be a place for Satan to get his rock-climbing fingertips into me. I want you to see he's probing. Satan isn't omniscient, but he's not an idiot. So I need to say that again. Some people give Satan way too much credit, like he knows everything. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not God. Say amen, church. He has nowhere near the capacity or power or intellect of God. But he's a lot smarter than Tim. And somebody out there was thinking, well, that don't take much. Well, he's smarter than you too. You know I'm right, right? So he's probing. He's, he's after Eve. And you know what he does? He, he probes with a, a question and he, he discovers something. He finds some crevices. It's really a lot, but I'm trying to, I'm hoping this little graphic will help us. There's what God said, and there's Eve's report of what God said, and the subtleties tell a huge story. God said, You may surely eat. In other words, there's a lot here, and you're free to it. You can freely eat. You can happily eat. You can, you can eat to your heart and belly's content. You can try everything almost, right? She says, she says it's just a little different. You may eat. It's a little bit better in the Hebrew, but she's not so free in her acceptance as God has been in his offer. And then she says to Satan, you, you shouldn't touch it. Well, guess what? God never said that. God didn't say you couldn't go lay up under that tree. God didn't say you couldn't lean against that tree. He didn't say. Now, I want to tell you, if you could believe something was so dangerous, it would sort of set the tone for how you handled it, right? Like, like if I said to you, don't lick that electric fence. If you believed that licking the electric fence was not really all that good for you, you would probably say, I don't think I'll lean on it either. But did he ever say that? Could you go grab some fruit from some other tree and go sit under the shade of that tree? Absolutely. Then she says, the Lord says, you shall surely die. She says, lest you die. And the way this is in the Hebrew, it's like saying maybe something might happen. Is that the way God said that? That's actually the most dangerous shift of all. So I, I think this reveals something. We miss God's provision, and it makes us doubt his provision. We begin to create rules that God never created, and we also are very susceptible to creating consequences that are sometimes worse and sometimes better than he ever said. The wages of sin is what, church? Death. Now, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, we are not above this danger. Think about what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said this in 2 Corinthians 11:3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This, this can happen to us too. It's not just Eve, it's us. As a matter of fact, I would contend one of the biggest things that we wrestle with in the American church is we're deceived into thinking the American dream is something better or that replaces the kingdom call. 
And we get to thinking that American comfort equals God's blessings, where nowhere in the scriptures has this been said. Nowhere. Nowhere. So we have something that God never said that we have actually put into sort of our catalog of the way we look at life. Oh, I have a big house. I have multiple cars. I, I, you know, I'm doing it, man. I got it. It just doesn't work like that. And a lot of times, too, let me get on an illustration that'll just land hard somewhere to somebody. A, a, a lot of times, a lot of times the, the deception works for us, too, when there's a good need within us, and we come up with a non-God answer to it. Uh, I, I now, let's, let's get personal. How many of you guys remember being a teenager? So, okay. Wow, Mo, you got a good memory. That was a long time ago, man. Okay. All right. Did anybody, now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the answer is yes for me. The answer is yes. Did anybody really struggle with feeling lonely or accepted as a teenager? I did, right? Despite my stunning good looks and inviting personality, I, I, I kind of I grew up monetarily poor, and I knew I couldn't buy my way into fitting in. So I didn't trust God to give me friends. I would do a lot of silly and dumb things to impress people, dangerous things, jumping off of bridges. Uh, one time I was trying to impress some people and I was playing with a poisonous snake and it bit me. What an illustration. And all I was doing was trying to make people think I was cool. Well, when I finished throwing up everything inside my body, I did not feel so cool. Now, See if you can imagine this extension going to feeling lonely and unmanly and how that might have affected how I answered my relationships as a teenager. Is this hitting home for anybody besides me? See, see, we all can sort of get in that rhythm where we come up with answers for good desires that wind up being crushing issues. So what, is, what, is, what does Satan do to Eve? I don't know what I look like right now. I feel like itsy-bitsy spider or something. Or the thing you do when you want to do it. Tiger? That's my calm tiger. I have a more fierce tiger too. Right? He's looking to get his grips, his tips, his grips, his grasp. He's, he's probing around and he's found something. Oh, you'll let me put it in the modern-day lingo, this chick doesn't know the Word of God. Now, if you think I'm picking on women, you'll know nothing. Who had this word been given to? Her husband. It was this knuckle-headed dude. He held the chief responsibility. He just sitting over chilling. Don't worry, we're going to get to Adam. But look at what the tempter does. Temptation, what does it do here? It raises questions about God's word. Secondly, temptation raises doubts about the integrity of God. Look back at verse 4 with me, if you would. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What does he do? He doesn't just raise questions about the word. There's a shift now. He Doubts, denies God's word. He goes against God's word. 
You won't die. Satan can only climb where he's got his fingers and he's found a place to grab Eve. He's found a place for his cunning, his craftiness to grip in her. No one, no one suddenly falls to Satan. Let me say that again. No one suddenly falls to Satan. It always begins with probing. It always begins with questioning. It always begins with looking around. That's why we should endeavor, as the Apostle Paul said to the churches at Ephesus, to give no opportunity to the devil. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Let me tell you all a quick story. My first pastor, I came to the faith at going on 26 years old. I tell this story all the time because it really cracked me up. I was like, man, I know I need to go to church. And Karen and I were dating at that time. I says, how do you go to church? She says, you get up, you put on your clothes, and you go. And I literally was like, it cannot be that easy. Someone should have to invite you. I go to Clement. I'm inviting you. You don't count. You're my girlfriend. I've seen how you're living. You need to go there and repent. <laughs> Turns out, guess what you can do? You can just go to church. <laughs> how did y'all get here today? She just came. <laughs> and so I, I, I get to this church, and, and uh, I have no idea how to do church. And thank God I landed in a solid church full of, really had a lot of people to love on me. I could just do a parade of names that would get Brett and, and Casey's head bobbing, just guys like Mr. Barnes and David Knupp, my pastor, guys who just really poured into me and loved on me. Such a blessing. The word was being taught from the pulpit. Our church had a library, and it was full of this cool literature. Some of it was heretical. Some of it wasn't. It was a great exercise to work through it. But here I start ministering. And the first thing I'm doing is I'm working with the royal ambassadors. I'm the scripture memory guy. I'm the scripture memory guy. They give me this book, and it turns out these boys can get ribbons for how many scriptures they remember, memorize, rather. 25, you get a ribbon, and 50, and 100. And I saw there's a ribbon for 500. I was like, whoa, 500? And I just started thinking, well, how many times are we going to meet this? You're going to meet 32 times. Wow, if I just give these guys, like, Eight verses, oh my goodness, that'll never work. You guys need to do about 14 verses every week. No one told me that they had sort of shot for those guys getting five down over the course of that year. So I come in, they say, you got five minutes. And I just said, you got to memorize this scripture, you got to memorize this scripture. And everybody was laughing at me. I thought it was because they was having fun. They said, this guy is a nut. My pastor pulls me aside. And he says, I see God is starting to use you in our local church. I want to warn you. He says, you're a guy. There's all kinds of things that Satan will use to grab you, but there's three things that guys just seem to fall for over and over and over and over again and again and again. He says, guys like women. I say, yeah, it's true. I said, I told him, I says, I'm trying to like woman. He says, keep working at it. He says, so watch out, watch out. Don't, and he, and he gave me some practical counsel. Don't be alone with a woman that's not your wife or your daughter or your mother. Don't, don't ride in cars like that. Don't get into intimate settings. If you're on a committee with somebody or working with somebody, make sure you plan the meeting well. And I said, man, this feels like prison. 
And I was like, okay. And my wife will still tell you to this day. Uh, friends of mine, like I, I work with Amy. Amy needed to take her car somewhere the other day. I'm 52 years old, and I texted and asked my wife's permission to go pick Amy up at the place she took her car. Why? Because my pastor's counsel was based on this verse in this episode. Hey, you're a dude. You're very susceptible to, to this, so really watch out for it. It's the whole reason if you come to our offices in My Life Matters, there's something very noticeable. You know what it is? All the offices have windows. See, I took that counsel because we're really susceptible to fail. Another one was, was money. He's like, watch out how you care about money because there's a lot of people in ministry and they're in ministry for the money. And I, I don't know what ministries they've landed in, but I haven't found that one yet. I don't know if you guys know this, but you pay me a whopping $300 a year. I think we're not in this for the money here at East Rock. But also when people hand you stuff, cash, off the record, you wouldn't believe how much it happens. He says develop some processes, like put it in an envelope, seal it, write something on it. He says somehow the power of these things helps you say, this ain't mine. He said what's worse is when they say, do whatever you want with it. Well, I'd like to go chase women. He says, you need to watch out for money. He says, also, you need to not fall in love with people's compliments. He says, you'll, you'll hear a lot of compliments. It's sort of like the, the money. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for an opportunity to fail here. That's funnier than y'all know. It'll catch up with you later. He says, but you'll also fall for the opposite. Somebody giving you some needed critique and you hating yourself for it. He says, watch out. Watch out for glory, for wanting it or not having it. Watch out. So I nailed it down to three Gs, girls, green, and glory. And I've developed processes. You know why? Because I confess, I want people to hand me trophies. Women are beautiful and money is fun. If I can tell you openly that I am just like everyone else, I'm susceptible so what does Satan, Satan knows that. He's like, in general, most dudes could fall right here. There's some other things I could fall at, right? But most dudes, these are big areas. My pastor was trying to equip me for the work of the ministry. He was, don't give the devil these opportunities. And it's not because you're so strong or you're not tempted. You better have some processes to deal with the temptation. Because you'll start thinking, well, I'm just trying to be happy. So I'll love whoever. I'm just trying to be safe, so I'll take the money and secure my family. I just want to be liked, so I'll take the compliments. Do you guys see how subtle all this is? You'll take that good need, and instead of trusting God to answer the good need in holiness and in righteousness, you'll begin to craft methods to answer the good need, and you'll feel justified in the work. Temptation raises doubts about the integrity of God. Did God really say, I mean, come on. You think God's going to kill you if you eat the fruit off this tree? Be for real. 
Not only that, though, the tempter impugns God's motive in verse number 5. Look back at verse 5. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. It's like the tempter is saying God doesn't want you to be like him. God is holding something back from you. I want to tell you that the goal of most cults and most false religions is for you to become a god. That's the stated goal of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnessisms. It's the stated goal. You become a god. Here in the garden, what Adam and Eve are wrestling with and what Satan is tempting them with is God is holding back on you becoming god. It is critical to have an ever-renewing mind that openly celebrates the goodness of God at all times. It's critical. That's what he's doing. He's saying, God's not, God's not good. If God was good, he wouldn't hold back from you this stuff right here. Thirdly, using the senses as a pathway, the seed of temptation is planted in the field of desire. Look back at verse number six and see how this very quickly unfolds. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Do you see that? Something is, is believed to be desirable. The tempter is, is making an appeal for the nature of this sin. He says, look, that, that, that's good. Look at that. And, and it's going to give you something good. And it'll, it'll make you better or more happy. In this case, it'll make you wise. See, God just doesn't want you to be like him, so he's holding back this good thing from you. Hmm. Isn't that just the way sin works? And sometimes we couch it in some fairly benign sayings. Like, we'll say things like this. Got to look out for number one. Hey, do you. You better take care of yourself because if you don't, no one else will. I don't know who said it, but somebody knew. That's a common thing. Do, do you know how subtle Satan can be? He can take those little cliches and build a sort of mindset where we go around saying, if I don't take care of me, no one else will. If I don't make me happy, no one else will. If I don't go out and do the things that'll give me the sort of life that I deserve, no one else will. Meanwhile, we'll live just like that and walk into church and say, you're a good and gracious king. Don't you see what was happening in the garden? It's still happening in the garden, there's just many Adams and many Eves. <laughs> and like Father Abraham's kids, I am one of them, and so are you. <laughs> so after this internal thing has been triggered, do you see how external, how externally simple, did anybody pick up on it? Go, go back and just look at the, the last part of verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate. 
You know, um, I uh, been pastoring for a long time, and um, I, I'll I'll never forget this guy's train of thought. He came to me, and this this was his literal train of thought. His his wife had gone through an extremely tough pregnancy, uh, a very tough delivery, and she had experienced some postpartum depression and. And uh, it, it was very well known, and it was a beautiful thing. The, the people in our church at that time were caring for her and loving on her. And uh, knowing their kids in the room, can I speak a little grown-up code? <clears throat> it had been a while since they had enjoyed marriage in the fullness. W what's the tempter do right here, guys? Show me with your hands. What's he do? Anybody know? John's got it. Amy's got it. As he starts, he starts looking for a place to grab. You know what he couldn't do? He couldn't make this guy hate his wife. Right? So what did he say? He say, she would want you to be happy. She would not want you to be frustrated. He spent six months being talked into it in 15 minutes executing. What? No amens? By the way, that person is not in this church. Secondly, I have full permission to share that story in this way. You know what his comment was? All this pain for so little pleasure. See, do you think Eve might agree? Did God really say? What did he say about this? Is God holding back on you? Crunch. Now, we don't want to let Adam off the hook. All the ladies should say amen. Many New Testament scholars, and I don't know if I'm a scholar, but I agree with the smart folks. The reason they believe, I believe, let me just put, I say I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit gives Eve a huge break because she was tricked into it. Adam saw what went down, and the Bible records it like this, and he ate. She slid into it by the subtlety of Satan. He conformed to it quickly by his own choices. So we won't go there because if I go there, I'll go there. But write these verses down and just, just look them up. Look up Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Look up 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Specifically, look up and give some thought to 1 Timothy 2, 14. Adam knew exactly what he was good doing. He had not tended to his wife. She had been tricked, and he joined in. Do not think that we're going to let Adam off the hook. I can't say every dumb decision is only by men, but I would say they seem to hold more patents than the ladies do. One quick thought of application. We very often wrestle with the actions and what this passage shows me is we need to wrestle with our desires. 
We need to identify what we desire, and we need to discover in God's word how he aims to answer our good desires. You got a desire to eat, okay? Then lay off the cheeseburgers and the, and the chocolate cake and the Dr. Peppers. Have some salad. Oh, that's no fun. Bring me my meal. Q Van Halen. I'll eat the burger while singing Running with the devil. Because God just wants me to be happy. What is the real desire? The real desire isn't for me to have nutrition. The real desire is for me to have pleasure. Hmm. To do something fun. To be comforted. All my favorite foods are comfort foods. Somebody in here ought to say Amen. They ought to just write on potato chips, barbecue comfort chips, cheddar sour cream comfort chips. All of them are just comfort chips. Cheese comfort doodles. Just call them comfy doodles. Everything fried should just be called come fried. It's just comfy food. The question I sort of have for myself after studying this week is will I even begin to probe where am I not letting God comfort me? Why do I think I have to comfort myself? I don't know if I'm making sense to anybody or maybe the sermon is just for me. I don't need to simply go on a diet. I need to answer the question of my desires. Why do we guys have to have so many toys? What's really going on there? Why do we always got to be doing something? Why can't we just sit? Why is, why is going to a tree stand more intriguing than going to a prayer meeting? Why is chasing a ball more intriguing than going to share the gospel? See, in this very civilized Christian culture, we need to wrestle with our desires in a fresh way. Lastly and quickly, as temptation promised, their eyes were opened. Amen. Their eyes were opened, but not to divine enlightenment. <laughs> they were naked and ashamed. They went from naked and unashamed to naked and ashamed. What had happened? Did their, bodilies, did their bodies suddenly shift? No. Adam was still a stud. Eve was the original body of a Botticelli. This awareness of the possibility of evil, this awareness of the results of disobedience suddenly made them feel ugly. How many of us have ugly feelings about ourselves because we're just out of sorts with the Lord? They didn't understand anything more good but they understood much more of what was bad. And why did they suddenly need to cover up in front of one another? I'll tell you why. Because sin breeds division, mistrust, and alienation. <laughs> this is a tough message. I know it. But there's also hope in it. Where is the hope? I think we should see. That when they, when they affixed these leaves, they sewed fig leaves together. 
Now, where'd they get the thread? I guess they went to Walmart. Just seeing, was anybody listening? And, and you got to sort of credit them for ingenuity. But then again, remember, they're made in the image of God. They've already seen witness how leaves cover up all kinds of things. They said, uh, leaves will cover me. I, I don't know if you guys have worn many leafy outfits. But give them a couple days and they become kind of itchy. They shrivel up. <laughs> I think that was Tammy. Tammy said they shrivel up. I think Tammy has some experience with, with garments like these. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. And, and, you know, have you ever thought which parts did they cover up? The Bible doesn't tell us. They just says they covered up. I mean, you know, who knows? Adam might have just covered up his face. He might have said, man, I feel ugly. You say, preacher, why would you say that? Isn't that our first impulse when we feel ashamed? You ever thought about this? We assume they cover up. For those listening to the audio, something. Don't, don't we make that assumption? I think it's a pretty safe assumption, to tell you the truth. But maybe they also made masks. You ever thought about that? Maybe they were ashamed. I know they were ashamed. I know they did not want to be looked upon, not only by one another, but especially by God. We'll find out more about that next week. But you say, preacher, I thought you said there was some good news. There he is. There he is. Though we'll get to it next week, let me go ahead and project. When people whom God treasure, God treasures these people he has made. He loves Adam and Eve. He has made Adam and Eve for his glory. He loves them. He sees them in their broken condition, but does not ignore them. Last week in our life together, Brother Bill said, even, even when we sin, God doesn't abandon us. Isn't that a great thought? You know why the, here's the hope. You know why we have the, re, the story of Adam and Eve? Because we're Adam and Eve, and God wants us to see, I know you fully, and I'm not going to abandon you. My conclusion tonight is in the words of Dr. Ross. He said this, the message to Israel and to all God's people should now be clear. A thorough knowledge of the word of God and an unwavering trust in the goodness of God are absolutely essential for spiritual victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. What did Satan do? He wanted them to have questions about God's word. What did Satan do? He wanted them to impugn the character of God, the integrity of God. God must not be good if he would withhold something good from you. What can we do in the coming days Brothers and sisters, I have two major points of application before we leave. One is this. How important is it for you to have habits and communities that remind you constantly of the goodness of God? Now, my daughters and my, my, my wife can attest at home for months. I have been stuck on a song. I sing it morning, noon, and night. What's the name of it, Katie? You know it? No, it's the, the, um, the goodness of God. 
Is that the name of it, the goodness of God? That's the name of it. I will sing of the goodness of God. Anybody know that song besides me? I hesitate to sing it because... All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. You know why I've been singing that song for months? I've been waiting all this time to tell y'all. Because of this passage. I've been reading Genesis for eight straight months. And I've become convinced within the first few days of studying for this series that if I don't concentrate on the goodness of God, the enemy will make me believe that he ain't been good to me and he does not plan to be good to me. I hate to cry in public. I do. I don't know why. Because I'm a weak man. We were singing that song tonight. Empty hands to a good and gracious king. First thing God wants you to know is how good he is. The first thing Satan wants you to believe is God ain't good. We need to concentrate on the goodness of God. And if you don't have communities that point you to the goodness of God, then change your circles. Secondly, my second point of application is huge. Do you know him today? Do you know how good God is? This is how good he is. He comes down. This is no spoiler. He, 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 he comes down. He slays some animals and covers Adam and Eve more sufficiently, right? And what does he do right there? He paints a picture of the gospel. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes, he sheds his blood, but it's not a temporary covering. His righteous sacrifice is full forgiveness of sins, and he invites mankind, naked and ashamed, to be clothed in his righteousness, covered by his son, safe and secure. How can you come into this blessing? Believe. The Bible says if you believe on that name of Jesus, you'll be given the right to be called the sons of God. And then what do you do? You identify with him. First, you identify with him in his death. You get in this baptismal pool. Or we'll take you out to a lake, a pond, a creek, a swimming pool. Get under the water. Obey him in this. Get buried with him. Let yourself have this picture of yourself. Let people have this picture of you being buried with him. And then what else? Being raised with him. Obey God in this. And then see yourself as fully covered all, for all time in the blood by the person of Jesus. And believe God that you are Adam. You are Eve. Me too. <laughs> you know? And you're not wearing leaves. You're wearing Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when the tempter comes and says, uh, you know, you're, you're really not worthy of this, you can say, you're right. I did not design these clothes. I did not make these clothes. I did not provide these clothes. But get the way I'm going to wear them. You're right I'm not worthy. You're right I didn't earn it. You got it. But you just watch me strut. One more application. One more. I don't care what the issue is in your life. If you don't know what God's word says about it, don't come up with something else. 
I don't care what it is. If you don't know what God's word says about it, do some homework, get with some wise counselors. I don't care what it is. Whatever the issue. Amen? Most important is, do you know him tonight? Have you followed through and obeyed him in baptism? Are you looking into his word to lead your life? Do you realize the areas where you're tempted? Are you processing your areas of temptation? Maybe yours aren't girls green and glory, but it's something. And those ain't all of mine. Got a fearsome temper. I'm tempted to solve things with them knuckles. I have to process that. Make sense to anybody. I'm tempted, I'm tempted to, to use alcohol to deal with my sorrow. I have to have a process for that. Don't drink. How do you don't drink? You know, the best thing for my, my drinking problem was a praying life. Instead of trying to drown the sorrows, I learned to spit them out. I go on and on and on. This is where it's like, you know what he's doing to all y'all? Me too. He's trying to get his claws in you. Nothing's changed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, so much more could be said from this passage. And it could have been said so much more eloquently. But this we know. Just as in the fall, Satan is working in our fallings. Thank you that you did not abandon your people. You tell us that when we sin, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, you simply want us to agree with you about sin and our sin and sins in specific. Once we come into this agreement, you're so ready and willing to forgive us. So, Father, help us to see not just the morbid death this passage introduced to mankind, but help us also to see the wonderful hope that you give us through Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts as only you can. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen.